Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Coding's Decoded. In this podcast, we are diving into the USTA Arthur Ashe Stadium. This project's a great case study that dives into the value of price versus performance. I am Jennifer Gleesberg, Senior Manager of Performance Coatings with Tenemic Company. Today, I am joined by David Pope with the Writer Group. Without further introduction, let's dive right in. Today, I'm joined by David Pope. David Pope is a coding consultant with the Writer Group. He joined the agency in 2010 and is an AMP Senior Certified Coding Inspector. He has experience with a variety of Tenemic coding systems and strives to determine the best application for his clients. David graduated from Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut with a political science degree in American government and a minor in Middle Eastern politics. While in college, he participated in rugby, crew, and wrestling. In his leisure time, David runs endurance races, skis, and enjoys reading about American history. Thanks for joining us today, David. Hey, thanks for having me, Jennifer. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so you've been dealing with um, a project, the USTA Arthur Ashe Stadium, um, a tennis stadium located in Queens, New York. It's known for being the main stadium for the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament and the largest tennis stadium in the world. Can you tell us a little bit about this project? Sure. So um, I'm the representative in uh, in New York and Manhattan, and my predecessor, a guy by the name of Phil Ganella, has been in the area for 30 years. And so when this uh, building was originally designed and constructed, constructed, Tenemic was the basis of design, and, and our company was used to uh, paint the original structure. So that was back in the 1980s. And then since then, there had been some local touch-up uh, that the owner had done through subcontractors directly. But really, the original coding system, which I think was the old Series 73, uh, stood the test of time for 20 plus years until they needed to do some just localized touch up on connections and such. And then around uh, six years ago, um, even before that, uh, Rosetti Architects was retained by the USTA to make a very large addition to this structure. So if you look at before and after photos, you'll see that it, uh, it was quite a complex steel structure holding this whole building up it was uh it was open to the elements so if it was raining during the u.s open everyone got wet and the the usta wanted to put a roof structure over this this single court um i guess you'd call it tennis arena and so the addition to this included a sliding roof over the top as well as larger uh, grandstands to so people could watch tennis from the uh, from the top. So there are some very large steel columns and a pretty large steel, uh, huge steel structure over the roof that was created six years ago. And um, like I mentioned, Rosetti Architects uh, originally designed this project, I'd say six or seven years ago, and used Tenemic as the basis of design then. And uh, for all that new steel, it was our three-coat system, which you're very familiar with. It was a zinc epoxy uh, uh, floor polymer. It was either a floor polymer or urethane. I, I forget which. I think it was actually urethane. So 1997, 
uh, series 27 and I think series 1075. And that's actually the same coding system that was used right down the street at Yankee Stadium, which uh, was a very successful project for us in New York as well, where that was built in, geez, uh, I want to say 2010. Um, and Rossetti was the lead designer there. They used the same spec for the USTA edition six years ago. Okay. Okay. Um, so like you said that in 2016, the retractable roof structure addition was added to the stadium. Um, it, can you tell us uh, what type of uh, color that that was used on that project at that time? Sure. Yeah. Um, I remember being in a meeting with um, a f the designer and the owner because they were unsure about the color when this was bidding. They weren't, they were not sure if it was going to be all white or if it was going to be uh, a very specific Benjamin Moore color, actually, that uh, the USTA uses. It's a very specific blue that they have everywhere. The floors, the walls, the doors, everywhere you walk into the USTA or the Rash Stadium, there's a very specific blue that they use for apparel, you name it. So during design, they really weren't sure. They knew that overhead was going to be mostly white, if not all white, just for purposes of just reflecting light. But the columns on the outside, they thought were probably going to be blue. And that blue is really kind of a, a royal blue color, uh, darker. And as we all know in the paint business, uh, more brilliant colors like that, the blues, purples, orange, reds, yellows, those pigments tend to absorb more UV light, right? They uh, tend to degrade faster than other colors like a white that reflects that UV light. And so the considerations you need to use during the design and construction process of what products you're actually using are really important, especially with the labor costs in New York City. So I remember sitting in that meeting and they were saying, well, if it's going to be blue, we think it's going to fade faster. So they started asking questions about manufacturers and then the, the big W word came up, right? Warranty. <laughs> and then they say, well, what kind of warranty can we use? And that opened the door to using fluoropolymers. And we had proposed a few different options there as well, uh, which took on kind of a life of its own. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Dave, can you give a little bit of a background in case um, listeners don't don't know exactly what you mean by choosing a fluoropolymer over a urethane and, and what that added benefit um, is with with the fluoropolymer technology? Yeah, you know, I actually should have explained that uh, a little bit earlier. So whenever uh, we're speaking with architects and engineers, we you and I throw around these words like epoxy fluoropolymer, polyurethane, acrylic, uh, other words that you might run into in the paint business might be things like enamel or uh, alkyds, um, latex. If you go down to a hardware store, the word latex is on every can. Those are all words that describe resins. Think of it that way. So when you open a can of paint, the there are three major components in every can of paint that you buy. It doesn't matter what kind of coating it is, from tenemic or from uh, Benjamin Moore House paint. You're going to have constituents that are resins, you're going to have pigments, and you're going to have solvents. And every can of paint has 
varying rate ratios of all three of those major components. Now the resin is the part of the product that binds everything together. And the that's really the integrity and the backbone of that film. And so when we talk about resin, well, you might have resins that are designed for chemical resistance, but they're very bad with sunlight. You might have other resins that are very good for impact and abrasion resistance because they're really hard, but they're bad with sunlight. Now you have other resins like polyurethanes, like aliphatic uh, polyurethanes and fluoropolymers, which are widely known in the in the coatings business is very UV resistant. They are very good about resistance to UV light. They're also chemically resistant. They're very slick. And so um, whenever we have an owner that has a note, what I tell them is, look, if you have a notable project or you have a project with brilliant colors where your primary concern is UV resistance, that's when you start to enter a conversation of using fluoropolymer resins. And there's only a few manufacturers that make them. They are a more expensive resin type because they're very specialized, but they're so stable that a company like Tenemic can put a very comprehensive warranty on it to say, Mr. and Mrs. Owner, this blue will stay this blue for a minimum of 15 years, and we're willing to put a warranty on that. And I like to remind people is that in the grand scheme of things, Tinemic is a $200 million company, still family owned. We are a small manufacturer by most stretches when you compare us to the billion dollar manufacturers out there. Let's say we warranty the USTA and there's a warranty claim out there for $2 million. That would be a huge hit for us. So as a conservative company, just put yourselves in our shoes. You've got to be very confident that your product is going to stand the test of time. And other manufacturers can't say the same thing. So I think that speaks very uh, directly to the quality of product that we're manufacturing to give the owner some um, confidence in moving forward with our products. No, thank you for explaining that. I, I think that helps hopefully everybody um, better understand um, the, the specifics with the coding technology. So, so back to the retractable roof structure, um, can you provide some background on what happened once the painting structure was finished um, and after that project completion? Oh, yeah. Well, do you want to talk about the completion or you want to talk about how we lost the job initially? <laughs> well, well let, let, let's talk about how we lost the job initially and then let's talk about, yeah, where that went once, once the project was, was completed. Yeah, so I remember spending a whole lot of time around the 2016 time frame, I think. And I remember sitting uh, and talking to everyone from the steel fabricator to the architect, to the owner, to the engineers, to the general contractors, talking to all of them direct, uh, individually. And then we were invited to a, I was invited to a meeting with all of these people around a big board table. And they invited the other manufacturer that was also being entertained to, for this job. And prior to that, I had had to fill out an Excel spreadsheet for the costs of our material on a cost per square foot basis. And they looked at our warranty, they didn't really read over all the details, and then they looked over the 
warranty from the other manufacturer that was really using an inferior product. And I use the word inferior uh, on purpose because it wasn't even comparing apples and oranges. And at the end of the day, the owner really said, Dave, what you're proposing is going to cost, and this is the owner speaking, this is not a contractor, this is not an architect saying, this is a $250,000 change uh, or difference in the cost of the product. And to me, when you, when you speak about all these things every day, you have an owner that's spending millions upon millions of dollars on the structure, in addition to the New York City labor costs, $250,000 is a drop in the bucket in my mind when you're looking at a large structure like this. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. But the owner, and, and rightfully so, is looking at every line item on this job, and they're looking to save money somewhere. And what I like to tell people is like, the paint is the last thing on your checklist, but it's the first thing that people are going to see. And how we, we live that life day in and day out. Absolutely. And so... Eventually, we, we lost the project because it was $250,000 that the owner saved. And they went from a three-coat system to a two-coat system. So the original spec was a zinc, epoxy, polyurethane. And they asked for a warranty for floor polymers, a, a bit alternate, let's say. Um, then they had gone, uh, the other competitor had said, you know what? Don't do two coat system. Do a three coat, uh, three coat system. Do a two coat system. So now you're saving labor, and we promise that uh, you know it'll last just as long, Mr. Owner. So they ended up electing to go with a two coat system of just a zinc and one coat of a blue um, polyurethane. So I was kind of heartbroken about that because I put a lot of work into this job. We already were in the good graces of the owner because our coatings lasted since the 80s. And here we were in a very good position to um, to get this addition. And there was a lot of steel. I mean, not only the, the blue columns that you see, but all of the overhead steel in this sliding roof. Uh, and it's a, it was a really notable project. So we lost it for $250,000. Um, and every time I drive through Queens, I see that project or that, that job. And for six years, I've been looking at it. So let's see, it's, it's, um, March of 2023 now, and about the, uh, middle of the summer last year. So June or July, June or July of 2022, I got a call from the, uh, engineer. He's a, independent engineer, consulting engineer, but he works a lot with the USTA with a lot of the maintenance that they have going on. So he's very close to them. He said, hey, Dave, we'd like to restart the conversation about doing painting at the USTA. And I said, hey, Steve, you know, thank you so much for the call. But I'm curious, that's a brand new structure. Why are you, why are you, <laughs> I was kind of laughing. Like, why are you calling me right now? I mean, they just painted the whole thing. And I mean, I'm sure that there's some work, some work to be done. And he, uh, he's chuckled as well. He said, well, the work that they did in 2013, uh, you know, 16, a year after they completed that work, the owner could visibly see a difference. And, I was surprised to hear that. I was expecting to maybe them get five years out of it. But the fact that they had gotten a year of performance in that blue color from this manufacturer 
then they then the owner picked up the phone to that manufacturer because they I think that the owner felt like they were um, sold a bill of goods and now they're disappointed. And so uh, we got back involved in the summer of the last year. OK, um, sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but there's no, a, no, a no, you're to- story. <laughs> yeah, you're totally fine. So so after six years um, and the owner being frustrated that the the coatings, um, the color was fading after within two years of the project being completed with regard to, you know, the extent of the color and gloss change over those six years. And I know you have some photos that um, we can't show due to this being a podcast, but we will make sure that those are are on tinemic.com for listeners to, to view at a later time. Um. So the owner had already spent um, $750,000 on the first phase of the painting contract. Um, and are there additional phases being done? Um, and and how is that being handled? Yeah. And, you know, I think we spoke about this a little bit earlier is that I, I've been thinking about a lot about this the last few years is that, you know, when did we all start using Amazon? That was probably eight years ago was really when it started to take off maybe mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think when we're all uh, used to needing something right now, we have the ability to go on our phone and order something right now. And, you know, before the pandemic, it would be there next day. In some cases it still is there next day. If it's just a, a very readily available commodity, And I feel like our culture before was always very price driven. And now it's even more so because we are programming our brains to get something right now or tomorrow, get it from any number of sources and have it on our doorstep very quickly. And we're okay if we get it for a really good price, if it only lasts a week or two, or if it's a one use item. And we're almost used to this ordering a product. It works for the task that we wanted it to work for, and then it breaks. We're almost to the point of saying, that's okay. I got my money's worth out of it because it was so cheap that I could throw it out for one use. I think that's very different from when um, you know I look at some of the tools my grandfather owns or items that my, our grandparents owned. You bought it was an heirloom piece of furniture or it, it was anything. It was something that was very well made and it's designed to last forever. Never mind one generation. It was last designed to last forever and do a job or complete a task forever. And I think that maybe it's our age, maybe it's just the, the marketplace we're living in, but we're starting to we've been moving away from that for so long that now when you're building a stadium and you see, oh, why am I pay- paying $250,000 more for paint? Our brains are programmed to, uh, are being programmed to really steer away from, you know, paying for something that's going to last forever because everything we buy is, is disposable. You look at our cars, their appliances, basically, like cars you keep for five years until you drive it to the ground and you get another one. Um, that didn't used to be the case. You used to 
buy a car. And granted, you weren't driving as many miles, but they were built very differently. Um, look at all the goods that we buy. So I think that when people are designing buildings, their owners have a budget, but they're not necessarily thinking about how long is this structure supposed to last. And I think I think they're tasked with that. But this is the USTA is a perfect case in point. You're spending so much money erecting the steel. Number one, you're paying for the steel. You're spending money fabricating it. You're spending money erecting it. And then you're spending money painting it. And those four steps right there are huge labor numbers, especially in New York City. So the Absolutely. cost to the cost to paint that steel, the, the material cost is insignificant. It is a rounding error. I mean, they probably spent more on paper protecting floors on, you know, like construction paper to protect floors on this job than they did on the cost of material on the paint. And I think this is a great lesson in after, what, two years, they started to see some serious fading. After six, it went from white to like a pale blue or excuse me, from a, a, a dark blue to like a pale blue, almost turning white because it's such bad fading. It is, it, it looks hideous. So now the owners, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, and it's a highly visible project. So that's why they care so much too about, I mean, it's being seen, you know, every day to, to be able mm -hmm. to have that color fade is, is a huge, um, a huge piece that the, that affects the owner, you know, and, and everyone um, looking at it daily. So not only did they not pay attention necessarily to the, the life cycle value of that coding system, you know, they were looking just at the initial costs. Um, and that as you as you spoke about, it, it's not necessarily just about those initial costs. It's, it's more or less, you know, how that coding system is going to fare over the lifetime of that structure being, you know, being um, uh, on site. So, let me back up. The three coat system was originally specified was a zinc, epoxy, and polyurethane, which is what I think we you coded. said that. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also gave them an option to do zinc, epoxy, floor polymer. Um, the system that the competitor came in with was just a zinc and polyurethane, and that was it. Uh, I know that they had also entered the owner entertained using a zinc and polyaspartic top coat. Um, but for whatever reason, that was not used. And I have no idea why. They didn't see any uh, corrosion. I think that's the good news is that uh, there was no extensive corrosion. This is primarily uh, a story about color and gloss retention. There was no intercoat delamination. There's no cracking, peeling, chipping, anything like that. Um, so that way the owner and the the folks who built the building can't pawn it off on the contractor. This has nothing to do with application characteristics or the competence of the people putting it on. It has everything to do about the quality of the product, which I think speaks very directly to what you mentioned, Jennifer, is the life cycle cost of a building and why an owner, an engineer, and a consultant, you name it, a facade consultant, 
when you are examining the types of products to use on the exteriors of these buildings or structures, why it's so important to pay very close attention to the quality of the product and not just the bottom line price. Because it's very easy for all of us, like I was mentioning earlier, you just go into Amazon, find something cheap and get it shipped. Um, you really need to pay very close attention to the quality of the product and how long that product's been on the market. I mean, we go up against competitors every day. They're introducing new products to the market because everything they've done in the past has failed or there've been all kinds of other issues with previous products. So they're always reintroducing something every three years and then discontinuing other products. Our Florinar has been around for what now, 23 years? Is that right? Yeah, and it, it's important because we have, you know, the the case histories and and things of that nature, which it's not just about life cycle, but it's about the performance of the product. And it's also about, yeah, being able to prove that that technology actually works with case histories and things of that nature. Yeah, and we've got tons of case histories. We've got we know exactly what that product is capable of. And so we can approach an owner with confidence to say, yes, this will last this long, which is very rare. I don't think too many manufacturers can say, number one, we can warranty it for 15 years, but we know it's going to be the same color and gloss probably 20 years from now, based on all the case histories that we've gone through in the past. And I I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Jennifer, but I remember, I think it was Remy, who was our head chemist, said that we're buying more floor polymer resin from these manufacturers than, you know, $10 billion companies. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I think that that's what I've heard in the past too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so here's a, I think that speaks very highly of a company like Tinimic, where here we are $200 million in sales and we're buying more floor polymer resin than $15 billion firms. So what does that tell you where our priorities lie and where theirs lie? It shows you that we're a niche manufacturer that's performance driven. We're not a quantity driven uh, manufacturer who just wants to move product at any price, just get it out the door. And uh, you know, it's it feels good when an owner comes full circle like they did here. And, and that, that goes into another, I'm not sure how much time we have, but it goes into another uh, story of, okay, now let's talk about repainting what the other manufacturers screwed up. So, so speaking of that, what what coating system will be used on on that to help to help fix that? Sure. So, uh, that in-house engineer um, called us up and said, "Hey, can you uh, come in and talk about doing some more work uh, at the USTA?" Um, I said, "Great, let's go ahead." and do some just brief evaluation of the existing conditions and let's do some test patches. So I said, here, here's a few different options. We can, number one, we're gonna pressure wash the whole surface because we need to move all that chalking, uh, chalked material and get down to a sound substrate. Um, and then we might have to apply a primer or we might be able to go directly with our floor polymer if we have adequate adhesion. So we had spent some time uh, last fall doing adhesion testing on that existing film. And I wanna say about 
a month ago, we tested those patches. So we actually applied paint to the surface. I think it was in October of last year, October 2022. And then we let those patches age over a number of months, go through and let them go through a number of freeze thaw cycles on the south end, uh, south end of the building. So during the day, it got sun. At night, it got cold again. And over the course of a whole winter in New York City, you're going to see a lot of thermal cycling. So that's going to give you a very good idea of how good the adhesion of a new coating would be to an existing film. So we came back, I want to say about a month ago, so in February, and found that we got just as good adhesion with a fluoropolymer directly to the surface as we did with an epoxy primer and then a fluoropolymer. So now we can go to the owner and say, rather than take three steps of pressure washing and prepping, putting a prime coat on, then a top coat, we're going to be doing the prep and pressure washing and putting one coat of fluoropolymer over the competitor's uh, polyurethane directly. So there is a huge labor savings. Now, the interesting part of this story is that the owner also approached this other coating manufacturer and said, okay, we're really not very happy with how your product performed. What do you have to say? And they had said, well, we think the painter put that top coat on a little bit too thin and that's why it faded. Okay, well, if you took DFT readings of this surface <laughs> and you saw that there were seven mils of coating on there and it was a uniform finish, I'm not sure if that's really a valid argument. So they came back and said, well, we might have to do a two or three coat system on this surface and we're going to recommend something that's another step above what we originally recommended. So in other words, we made a mistake and we lowballed the job because we wanted the job and we shouldn't mm -hmm. have done it. And now we're in a situation where the owner's unhappy, but now we're going to recommend something more expensive because, well, we want to, don't want to sour the owner necessarily, but they wanted, they, they needed to propose something that was going to be greater color and cost for the owner, color gloss retention for the owner. So without doing any adhesion testing, without doing any homework or visiting the site, this other manufacturer recommended a two or a three coat system over what they already had. And that those recommendations were more expensive than what we're doing now. Uh, the, when this was put out to bid, those contractors looked at applying two and three coat systems and the labor costs are astronomical. I mean, just to rent a 185 foot lift to get to the top of this structure is $40,000 a week. So that's just equipment rentals, never mind the labor. So without doing any work, this uh, manufacturer really thought they had it in a bag because they got this structure originally uh, or won the project originally. And I think they were very uh, the sense I got from the owners, they were very um, confident they were going to get the remainder of the work. And I, I don't think that was the case. I think that the owner ended up being very happy with Tanemic when this structure was built in the 80s. And the fact that we were consistent in all the language we were using over the last six years uh, with our very comprehensive warranty where they know this blue is going to stay blue for a long, long time.
and hopefully by the springtime, by uh, by May, when the U.S. T uh, when the U.S. Open comes up, the structure will be finished. It'll look like a million bucks. Well, I think I think that this is a, a true testament to um, speaking on the the value of a coding system and paying attention to all the aspects that would be required. You know how long that structure is going to need to last, the aesthetic value um, of the coding system being chosen, and just the the case histories and the performance attributes of of the products being you know selected for the project those all come into play when when you're talking about a structure like this stadium so thank you very much for for going through uh, the project with us today thank thank you for taking your time today to speak with us dave um on this uh on this project yeah really appreciate it i uh appreciate telling the story because it is a unique project If you would like to view photos of this project or learn more about our fluoropolymer technology, please visit tanemic.com. To contact David or your local Tanemic representative, once again, visit tanemic.com. Stay tuned for future episodes of Coding's Decoded. <laughs>